The Conspiracy Podcast contains strong language, sexual situations, adult themes, and violence. Basically all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. that long ass hiatus covid got us it's fine not really no none of us got fucking covid as far as i know i don't know anyways we're not fucking dead we're still here welcome back to conspiracy bitches we're still doing this but who are we you ask blossom (laughs) oh my gosh that's all me i'm i'm bubbles for sure why do i feel like those are accurate though why do i feel like we have a lot of traits of the power of makes us a good trio. Also, when you said Blossom, I was thinking uh, the sitcom from the early 90s. Because oh. I'm what? Old. I was either thinking of Cheryl Blossom from Riverdale because... Why wouldn't you be? Whew. Or I was just thinking of Blossom. So Wait, should we someday. tell the people who we, who we are? Who we really okay. are? Or what <laughs> who we really are? Who are we really? I'm resident old person with bad punny jokes. I'm Renee. That's our dad. <laughs> I'm your dad. I'm fucking mama bird. Look at this. Appropriate. <laughs> you guys can't tell, but uh, Katie is wearing a shirt that says mama bird, and she just really wanted us to see it. Such a mom move. <laughs> okay, well, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm really embarrassed that my parents are <laughs> <laughs> I have an inquiry for you guys, and I've been waiting to ask you for when we recorded because I wanted, I I thought it would be interesting conversation for the podcast. And okay, something what? that popped into my head, because you know me, I'm always reading about cults, listening about cults, right. uh, watching documentaries about cults, very interested in cults. So, it is an undisputed fact that most members of cults are women. It's just a thing. You can look at pretty much any cult except maybe Scientology. Actually, no, Scientology too, I think has a lot, probably has more women than men. Do you think it is because society places such constraints on what women can do sexually that when you have somebody like Charles Manson 
coming along and he's like, nah, free your body. You can do whatever you want. It's your pussy. Do whatever you want with it. That it's such a freeing experience just being able to do what you want with your own body and being encouraged to do that by a figure that you grow to respect is enough to ignore some of the other damning parts of being in a cult. That's that's a point there. No shit. A woman is going to want to join like a fun hippie cult because in like 1967, even if you were like a freewheeling, freewheeling person, you could join a cult and have all the sex you wanted or you could live in this rigid society that was like, no, be a mom. No offense to moms. None fucking taken. You know, I don't know what you mean. I don't know if that's like an overwhelming factor for them joining, but I think that definitely provides more reward than constraint. If the worst you have to do is the same things you had to do for your husband, but with 14 other women. Well, you, yeah, you also have to think like the sexual liberation came about, what, in the 60s? Mm-hmm. Like with everybody. and you ha- I mean, that's when, yeah, Charles Manson was. And then you have Ted Bundy. The worst. I know. I know that's not part of the cult, but he still gave women like, oh, my arm's broken. Help me. Like telling women to help him type shit. And like. Preyed on like the natural response i i'm you know they're i'm not gonna say that men aren't empathetic but uh, yeah. i think by and large women are more empathetic than men that's mm-hmm. just them's just facts so like yeah he definitely preyed on the empathy of women i don't know i guess uh, i guess i was trying to think of why do we see so many more women in cults than women or so many more women in cults than men And that was the first thing that popped to my mind. Usually when a cult starts out, you get a certain degree of freedom that you don't have otherwise. It's like that. uh, It's a weird juxtaposition. You have a new sort of freedom in the realm Mm -hmm. of a structure. If that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure Jared Leto is out there telling his women to just open wide. (laughs) What podcast have you guys been listening to? I cannot believe I didn't wreck this to you guys. I think it's because I was waiting until I finished it before I recommended it. I have been listening to Welcome to Your Fantasy. It is about the the beginning, like the creation of Chippendales. And there is at least two murders connected with with the start of Chippendales. Well, one is at the very start and one was a little later on. But one of those is a murder-suicide. I mean, it was recommended to me on Spotify, and I was like, yeah. oh, it's Gimlet. Gimlet does pretty good podcasts. I'll give it a shot. And first episode, I was hooked. And, you know, you would not think that would be a podcast I would be interested in listening to, but shockingly good. Highly recommend. <laughs> uh, it's very well researched. They talk to a ton of people who were involved from the very beginning. So you get to hear from like ex Chippendale dancers, people who worked in the club when it first started, people who were involved oh, God, in the business. Um, yeah, it's yeah, I just followed it. It's I'm very excited. good. I don't know. I mean, I I like my ongoing podcasts that I listen to, like this one. But I also I think there there are times where you just like want one of those capsulated podcasts where you just like want to hear one story in eight episodes and then yeah, like, I've listened to move on. That's that's like all of basically Pain Lindsay's shit. Like Dead and Gone, I listened to that. I did listen this isn't Pain Lindsay moving on. I did listen to Something Was Wrong, which is the whole podcast about yes. like, Did you hear that? Did you did you listen yeah. to it? Mm-hmm. It's about the the woman who was like 
gonna marry this guy but like what a week before their wedding or something she just broke it off because like their entire relationship like, he was just a huge gaslighter super weird and uh of course office ladies because uh i fucking love the office um yeah that's about it i've been listening to unraveled which is about the long island serial killer oh i've been meaning to listen to that yes okay thank you I am, if you guys don't listen to Sinisterhood yet, do you? I mean, hold on, I'm looking that up right now. Yeah, I need... Sinisterhood is like two powerhouse, badass women from Texas. One's a lawyer, and one is like a true crime fanatic, and they go over cases. Like, right now, I'm literally on my way home. I was listening to their episode. They do a three-episode deep dive on Princess Diana. It was good. They have um, an episode on the Lululemon murder, which is one of my favorite cases of all time. What? I'm sorry. You don't know about the Lululemon murder? No. Okay, well, next week, can I tell you guys about it on the podcast? Why next week? I don't know. Why not? It's it's fresh and it's juicy. And I can't believe that you don't know about it. It was like, no, there's a Lululemon at Ponce. Ooh. There, I know. Don't do it, Katie. That's an MLM, baby. No, that's LuLaRoe. Oh. Lululemon is right. uh, just like expensive. Lululemon. That's right. I've I always get been. those confused. But it is literally nuts. I love that. Probably one of the most like disgusting, heinous murders I've ever even listened to. And it's never what you think it is. And it is just crazy pants. Are we ready to get started? We're going to be tackling a pretty dense topic as not dense as possible which is going to be so fun but we are going to be doing a rough coverage of spiritualism and by we i mean i'm going to be talking about spiritualism and the fox sisters and then liz is going to swoop in and be like no that's just bullshit but you have to get through all of my bullshit before liz will tell you it's bullshit real quick here are my sources for this a report of the mysterious noises heard in the house of Mr. John D. Fox in Hydesville, Arcadia, Wayne County by E.E. E. Lewis. And yes, that is from like the 1800s because they they love to have the long titles back then, like a fucking Fallout Boy song. Also, Talking <laughs> to the Dead by Barbara Weisberg, which if you have any interest in the Fox sisters or spiritualism at all, highly recommend that book. It that one and the one I just said are pretty much my main sources. And I the other one I'm pretty sure you can find online. Talking to the Dead, if you can find it, I got a, a copy at a used bookstore. It's extremely well researched and very good. I also have The Fox Sisters by American Haunting and The Sisters Who Spoke to Spirits by Narratively. Let's get started. So there's no doubt that Maggie and Kate Fox were the however reluctant leaders of the spiritualism movement, covering every aspect of their seances and performances in addition to the movement itself would require a lot more time than I want to tell it in and I'm sure you guys want to listen to. So I'm going to try and keep it concise by focusing on three key areas of their life and how the whole movement itself wove into that. So the very first 
So, you know, start at the beginning because that's a good place to start is the first knocks or raps they heard. And if you're familiar with any sort of poltergeisty story, this is going to sound very familiar. If you've listened to our Bell Witch episode, this is going to sound really familiar. The story of the Fox sisters and the spiritualism movement effectively begins in 1848, about three months after the Fox family moved into their rented Hydesville house. One evening, the parents, John and Margaret Fox, came running into the girls' room after hearing the two of them screaming. And Kate and Maggie were sitting bolt upright in bed, looking as though they'd seen a ghost. They claimed to have heard a strange noise. And after a moment, the parents heard it too. It was a rapping that sounded like somebody was tapping on the wall. Margaret suggested the girls should sleep in their parents' room that night. And once they'd moved from their bedroom, they didn't hear any more sounds for the rest of the night. Uh, the next night, sure enough, soon as the girls had gone to bed, the sound returned more insistently this time, and it went on for hours, keeping the entire family awake in the house. Each night, the sounds grew louder, and the strange phenomenon increased, and soon even the beds and the chairs in the house would start to tremble at night after the girls went to bed. So, John and Margaret, being the sensible Victorian people they were, searched the entire house and determined that the sound was loudest in the girls' room. But it seemed to be coming from within the very walls of the house. So, John stationed himself outside of the bedroom door and Margaret stood inside. And shockingly, the knock seemed to be coming from the door between them. And the situation would change the night of March 31st, 1848. How how old were the girls in 1848? I believe Maggie was 14 and Kate was 11. God so they were young. Damn. They were very young. So night of March 31st, Mrs. Fox is so exhausted that she felt ill and insisted that everyone go to bed early right at dusk and all in the same room for safety. Everything was quiet, but then, as usual, the noises begin again. And this time... Maggie and Kate were kind of like excited about it. Maggie goes, here it is again, as the noises grew louder. And then Kate suggested they try to talk to whatever was making the noise to see if it might answer. And she said, Mr. Splitfoot, do as I do, which is a very strange thing to say because Mr. Splitfoot is, say, pseudonym for the devil. But she called out giving two claps. And there was a pause, and then two raps answered. Now, Kate never told anyone how she came up with the nickname Mr. Splitfoot or why the ghost responded to it, but that was how this whole thing started. So Maggie immediately joins in. She says, now do as I do, and then she clapped four times, and four raps answered. So Kate then holds up two fingers, and the spirit raps twice, and Katie says, look, it can see as well as hear. Now you, Maggie said to their mother asked it a question mrs fox called out into the dark house how many children do i have there was a pause and then there were six raps and mrs fox said but i only have five children and kate and maggie then reminded her that she'd had a baby who died in infancy oh, no. and so mrs fox then said is this a human being that answers my question so correctly and there is no sound is it a spirit if it is make two raps and two loud raps came shaking the bed that everyone was lying in were you injured in this house? And two additional raps. So questions and corresponding raps throughout the conversation revealed the spirit was a man who had been murdered in the house when he was 31 years old and that his body was buried in the cellar 10 feet deep. 
They also learned he was a husband and father to two sons and three daughters, and that his wife had died after he did, orphaning his children. Will you continue to rap, Mrs. Fox asked, if I call in my neighbors that they may hear it too. So Mr. Fox goes out in the middle of the night to go get their neighbor, Mrs. Redfield, to come and see what was taking place so they know they're not going insane. So Mrs. Redfield showed up and she was convinced that it was only the two girls playing a trick on their parents. And when Mrs. Redfield heard the raps, she called her husband to join them. More questions were asked and answered in raps. And then Mr. Redfield went and got another set of neighbors called the Doozlers. The Doozlers came and they also called other neighbors, the Hides and the Jewels. And soon the house was packed with about 15 people, all who were talk asking questions and receiving answers from the strange ghost. What time of night this was, was this? And well, like, this was, in, this was, this was like in the 1840s. They went to bed at dusk and shortly after they went to bed, the knock started. So probably, I mean, probably okay. around nine, 10 o'clock. I mean, they woke them up to bring them in. How did they call these people? No, they went to their house. So, and how long did it probably take them to get from their house to the other person's house to knock on the goddamn door, go to another person's house, <laughs> knock on their door and be like, Hey, so, so, okay, so no, you're fine. You're fine. So oh, Mrs. Man. Fox, once everybody was there, once all 15 fucking neighbors, well, once all the neighbors plus the family were there, <laughs> the Mrs. Fox asked the spirit if anyone in the room had been the one to murder him. And he said, no. Uh, and then the neighbors asked a bunch of questions where they figured out that he was a traveling salesman. He had been killed in the East bedroom about five years earlier. So, like, the specificity is so weird. On a Tuesday night at midnight with a butcher knife because of money. Oh. Yeah. And one of the neighbors wanted to know how much money. And the spirit rapped that it was $500 in, like, 1848 money. So, like, a lot of money today. I mean, a lot of money then, but a lot of money today. Here's the fun part. The spirit named his killer as John Bell, a former inhabitant of the house. And the spirit identified himself as Charles B. Rosna. Uh, what? Yeah. Nobody could find any record of anyone named Rosna, but neighbors went to find Bell, who had since moved to a town called Moravia. And when he learned he was being accused of murder, he rushed back to Hydesville, ranting about slander and trying to clear his name. Nobody believed him, but they ended up not trying him for the killing. Like, everybody believed these two teenage girls. But they ended up not trying him for it because there was only one witness who was a ghost. <laughs> so John Bell ended up leaving and going back to Moravia annoyed, but, like, a free man. So after this whole evening their house just becomes besieged with people who want to speak to the ghost and the visitors. Start oh. So after, I guess all the fun wears off with figuring out the ghost life story, then people start asking about their dead relatives. They ask what the afterlife is like. They ask what, how their crops are going to do the next year, um, what their lives are going to be like in the future and about their children's future. And basically the feeling at the time, because this is still very early on, and the feeling at the time is everyone who came and spoke to this spirit walked away, consoled that death was not the end, and that those who they'd lost were at peace. By the end of the first weekend after this one night, 300 people had surrounded the house. 
eager to hear messages wow. from the great beyond. Damn. So this is also an interesting part. So their mother, Margaret Fox, was no stranger to the paranormal. She actually came from a long line of seers. So I think, Katie, we talked about this a little bit in the um, Heaven's Gates cult one, randomly. We talked about, like, mm-hmm. left-hand path, right-hand path magic, like this sort of folk magic that farmers and such would use during the 16, 1700s. Right. So she was from a long line of these type of seers who could predict with astounding accuracy events like births and deaths in the community. And because of all like the fanfare and everything, and I guess because she didn't want her daughters to have to deal with this long term, she begged the spirits to leave spirits to leave her family alone, but they did not honor her request allegedly. And it was around this time when people were really starting to come in crowds that their, their, <laughs> that Kate and Maggie's older sister Leah, who was at the time a divorced woman, came to the bustling farmhouse. And when she left to go back to Rochester, she took Kate with her, reasoning that perhaps if the girls were separated, the ghost would leave them alone. Strangely. Uh, the ghost then seemed to acquire the ability to be in two places at once because Leah reported that the noises were even heard on the boat as they traveled home to Rochester. That's sketchy. So she heard noises on the same boat. But Maggie was still back at the family home. So something evil attached itself to that person then. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Hell no. I will say, um, throughout the story, Kate is the one who is more connected to spirits. Like, Maggie is able to talk to spirits, but Kate seems more connected. I don't know if it's because she was younger or what. So, this is when they become household names. So, Leah is the one who decided that the girls should start doing public seances. And they started doing it at Leah's home in Rochester and were met with nearly instant success. Like, this happened virtually overnight. Their show was such a success that Leah took it on the road, and they traveled throughout New England, performing in the homes of wealthy and well-connected people. One rich couple, the Grangers, had lost their daughter Harriet and wanted to speak with her. So they invited Kate and Maggie and Leah to come to their house and perform a seance. Walking into their parlor, Leah set ground rules. Now, I will say, like, Leah is, she is the model that Kris Jenner would later fill because she, like, <laughs> the momager. Yes. She, she's the sisterger. <laughs> because as soon as she kind of took over for Kate and Maggie, she really, like, set about making sure that people only did certain things, like making sure they were taken care of, making sure they could, you know, Every accommodations and stuff were taken care of. So walking into the parlor of the Grangers, Leah set ground rules. The table had to be wood. The room had to be dark. They had to open with a prayer. Questions were to be phrased such that a spirit could answer yes or no. If the spirit wanted to expand, it would call for the alphabet by rapping five times. At that point, someone in the group would recite the alphabet until the spirit heard the letter it wanted. If the spirit felt disrespected at any point, it would leave. All of these seances sound so fun. In this specific one, the party sat at a cherry wood table laden with cakes and tea. And a Methodist preacher named Reverend Clark said a prayer. And as soon as he said the prayer, the rapping began. And the Fox girls said, 
it was their murdered peddler, Charles Rosna, calling for the alphabet. And he told the now famous story of his murder to these people. And then Reverend Clark asked, did the did God send you? And he said yes. Or he rapped yes. And Clark asked again, but what could have been his object? Has he any important purposes to accomplish to accomplish the fulfillment of which depends on such manifestations from the spirit world as you are now making? Loud rapping replied, and the table began to move, shaking the teacups that were on it. Suddenly, Maggie Fox announced that the spirit of Harriet Granger had appeared, and her parents had one question. Had her husband murdered her? Yes, the spirit rapped. And now the rapping testified he planned to hurt Mr. and Mrs. Granger as well. Finally, Reverend Clark asked about heaven. Harriet assured him that it was more wonderful than he could imagine. That's fucking weird. And just, like, imagine how long it would take to wrap all of that out. Yeah, I feel like that would be, like, three days. <laughs> I like to buy a vowel. <laughs> you gotta tap to the vowel. You gotta wait till they get to you. The letter mm-hmm. U. So their first big public seance was on November 14th, 1848. Now remember, this first started on March 31st. So this is kind of how quick it goes. Is they had that time period where people were coming to their parents house and then they do the kind of tour of new england with wealthy people and by november 14th they're doing their first big public seance and it was at corinthian hall which is rochester's largest venue they placed ads in the local paper reading let the citizens of rochester embrace this opportunity of investigating the whole matter and see if those engaged in laying it laying it before the public are deceived or are deceiving others. And if neither account for these truly wonderful manifestations, come and investigate. And the admission to get in, 25 cents per person. You got a quarter, you got to see some, well, hear some ghosts. All you're going to see are some some petticoats, but you will see some ghosts. Or hear some ghosts. 25 cents? 25 cents to get in into their very first public seance. I mean, I don't know what that, I mean, now that's probably like $25. Since this was their first public appearance, it began with a speech by somebody from Rochester, just kind of talking about their story and how they had connected with the ghost of the murdered peddler. And he compared the girl's discovery to those of Galileo and Newton. So... This was like a big deal at the time. People laughed at them too, he said. This was new science, not just religion. And the girls would be tested before the crowd and found to be sincere. Unfortunately, for their first public seance, Kate wasn't feeling well, so Leah took her place. And this is another, I feel, Chris Jenner move. So Leah had apparently <laughs> managed to gain medium powers by this time within these few months. Convenient. I know, right? So, by now, the Fox sisters had performed a lot of private seances, with Leah occasionally sitting in for one or the other of her sisters. They'd never performed for hundreds of people at once. They were seated at a wooden table, the lights were dimmed, and five influential members of Rochester society sat in chairs on stage, providing a silent endorsement of sorts. Silence filled the great hall, and then somebody asked if the spirit was with them. After a dramatic moment, a clear, loud rapping broke the silence. The demonstration continued with a series of questions and responses, and when Leah and Maggie left the stage, the applause from the believers was deafening. And after this, they were instant celebrities, particularly in the New England area, but starting to spread more towards the Midwest. 
And they ended up performing at Corinthian Hall for two more nights where investigators eventually declared that they had been unable to uncover any deception. And this would be a thread throughout the girls' entire career. The insinuation that the girls had let themselves be investigated signified to some in Rochester that whether the girls were lying or not, they were certainly not proper ladies. So the idea that... Proper. Yeah. So, which is such a terrible thing to say, especially because I mentioned earlier, they were... Kate and Maggie were young teenage girls. I think Leah was maybe 24, 25, but they were young, like 13, Mm -hmm. 13, 16-ish. So just kind of this insinuation that because men had seen their shoes and seen their, like, shins that they weren't proper ladies. And they allowed a man to see their shoes that they weren't proper ladies. It was very... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And this type of misconception wasn't the only adversity the girls faced. There were many detractors and skeptics. And unfortunately, how young these girls were didn't spare them from harsh criticisms. Soon after the performance, Maggie and Leah were brought into a private room where a committee examined them for concealed tricks. The examiners put Maggie on a feather bed, both with and without her dress. The second test was supervised by a group of women. So thank God, because she was still very much a minor at this time. But the raps continued even when she was on a feather bed, allegedly. Skeptics would routinely attempt to expose the Fox Sisters, Fox Sisters as fake. It was claimed they produced their phenomena in a variety of ways, ranging from toe, knee, and ankle crackling to ventriloquism to assorted mechanical devices. Despite this, no trickery was ever discovered whenever they were investigated. A number of committees and forums were created to test the power of the sisters, and most involved posing questions to the spirits, and while the replies were often inconsistent, they were accurate enough to make an impression. One test involved the girls being bound tightly about the ankles so they could not move their feet. Even then, they still heard the eerie rapping sounds. A committee of women also checked the girls' undergarments, which is like... I just, feel, I just feel so bad for them what? To, en- to ensure nothing was hidden there to produce the sounds. They found nothing. Ew. And despite the hostility shown to the sisters by the committees, most were forced to admit that they were able to detect no fraud. Just four years after the initial raps, Kate and Maggie Fox managed to incidentally start a nationwide movement. And this is to me such so crazy that it kind of just exploded. I don't know what was happening. I mean, I guess it was like post-Civil War era. So I think a lot of people were kind of obsessed with the idea of the dead and the afterlife. But it's just interesting that this happened at this time. And in, what is this, 1852, it just kind of exploded. So the city of Providence, Rhode Island alone was home to 40 or 50 mediums. There were rumored to be 1,200 mediums in Cincinnati, all who miraculously emerged after a visit from the Fox sisters. Um, Uh Yeah. And incidentally, many of those in their close group began to acquire medium powers. It wasn't just Leah who managed to get medium powers by osmosis. There were also uh, a man named Isaac Post, the Reverend R.P. Ambler, and a man named Charles Partridge. They all managed to acquire medium powers just by being in the vicinity of the sisters. And actually Partridge and an editor named Samuel Britton established a magazine devoted to spiritualism in 1851 called Shekinah, a which 
if you're evangelical, I'm sure that word sounds familiar. You probably heard somebody speak of that in tongues, but it's a Hebrew word oh. long used to evoke the radiance of the divine. And with this many mediums, there is no doubt that most of these people were charlatans trying to make a quick buck off of a popular movement. Uh, however, true believers maintained that the spirits undeniably had spoken to the Fox sisters. They were too young, too uneducated, and too innocent. The logic went to have tricked so many learned people. Also, I can't remember if I have this in my notes. I probably do, but I want to talk about it now. Another thing that Kate and Maggie had to go through is, unfortunately, a lot of the female mediums, while they were doing their seances, it was like half seance half casually sexy event so yeah so people (laughs) who attended those thought that these two young girls were doing the same thing so when they would try and do like their seances people would kind of expect that from them and they were like well i'm 16 and i don't know you get away from my purse so (laughs) just more bullshit they had to do with deal with get away from my purse (laughs) so with the popularity of spiritualism a publication called the spirit messenger set out clear guidelines for anyone interested in creating a spirit circle of their own and speaking to the spirits and because i like to do research i was able to find these guidelines so first let none join your circle but those who feel attracted Invite none but those who feel a desire to search for the truth and would be congenial with you. Two, when you have a medium present, communications are promised conditionally. If you come with candid minds and a desire to know the truth, the spirits will endeavor to communicate with you. Three, let one among you be appointed to repeat the alphabet. Four, your meetings should be opened with singing and closed with singing, and all should pray, cherishing an inward desire to have good spirits with you or those who are most progressed. Five, in the absence of a medium, the circle should be formed with the same harmonious feelings and the spirits will be with you and impress you with truthful thoughts. Six, those who unite with the circle must not indulge with inharmonious feelings, strife, or bitterness, but follow the example of Christ in doing good. Seven, all strive to live cheerful and happy, and there will be a corresponding harmony between you and the spheres. Which I have to say, given how icky Christianity is with anything, like, remotely spiritual, like, in spirituality, it is so funny to me that Christianity was so intertwined with spiritualism when it came out. It really was. Opening with prayers, reverends were all up in it. It's very strange. However, this is the sad part. Just as spiritualism was beginning to become its most popular, its two founders were on the brink of a downfall. And this is the sad part of the documentary, where I talk about two young girls who deserved better. Oh, no. What happens? All right. So we're just in time to meet what I believe is the villain of the story. Maggie's descent could be said to have begun in October of 1852, when she met the Arctic colonizer... I mean, dashing explorer, Elisha Kent Kane, who was 13 years older than her. As he was the son of a wealthy aristocratic family, he often (laughs) felt the need to tell Maggie she was socially beneath him in his letters to her. Here are his words verbatim. Oh, God. 
I am a man rather of facts and stern purposes than of woman thoughts and dreamy indolences. I will leave after me a name and a success. He also frequently dismissed spiritualism and begged her to quit doing seances and performances. Oh, how much I wish that you would quit this life of dreary sameness and suspected deceit. We live in this world only for the opinions of the good and noble. How crushing it must be to occupy with them a position of ambiguous respect. I hate this guy. Even better, <laughs> when he felt like she wasn't completely wooed by him, he'd resort to guilting her by sending letters to her talking about how he wished she still loved him like she used to. Why do you not write me? Have you forgotten your friend? Or does your new life drive you from the recollection of old times? Because do you hear yourself, bitch? I hate him so much. Considering how much of a catch he was. Maggie somehow fell in love with him, although I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she was extreme. She was like 18 at the time and did not know better. Oh, man. She just wanted she just wanted that Duke. Probably. And also and also uh, it could have less to do with his annoying character and more to do with Maggie's annoyance with Leah. By this time, Maggie and Kate were growing tired of the grueling schedule of appearances Leah had made them keep up over the past few years. Sounds like Chris Jenner. They were also growing tired of the drunken men who would attend their performances and make lewd comments. Like I said, they they assumed it was going to have that sexy component and didn't think about the fact that these were practically children. <laughs> so at the time, Maggie was 19 or 20, old enough to realize she was tired and longed for a quiet, respectable life. And with Kane, she could have that. Twice he proposed to her. Not with a ring, just like said, hey, I want to marry you. But both times made her swear not to tell anyone about it, especially his family. What the fuck? The first time he ended the engagement by forcing her to sign a document disavowing any sort of relationship with him. However, the next day he went back to her house and gave her the document back, asking her to shred it. Oh my god. What is wrong with this guy? I'm sorry. He's the worst. Like, He's the worst. He's the you're worst. embarrassed by her, so you really want to marry her. This is like all the movies that you see where it's like the, the, the high school jock really wants like the outsider girl, but he can't tell her or like tell mm-hmm. anybody else because they'll talk shit and make fun. He's like the, the chaotic evil version of Mr. Darcy. And and she had to, and she wanted to stay oh, for that. Yeah. I mean, she, I would say she was well, like, uh, because like the whole rich thing and the like the. I know why you're like, saying it. I, I just do, don't want to hear it. it. Oh. <laughs> that I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I love Matthew McFadden. I don't want to besmirch. Thank his you. Jeez, the respect. <laughs> <laughs> so, since he hadn't kept his part of the bargain because he's a dick nut. Maggie began performing seances again just to make him mad. She was like, oh, you don't like that I do this? Well, I hate you, so I'm going to do it again. And it worked, obviously, and along with other factors, compelled him to propose to her again in April of 1856. They couldn't be seen in public together, though, especially as lovers, because then somebody might see them and tell his family about it. And as far as his family knew, Elisha was merely sponsoring Maggie because he felt bad for her because she was so poor 
and sad and not from a wealthy family and giving her money so she could attend school instead of being a medium. So before an expedition to England to promote his latest book about his Arctic colonizing, I'm sorry, I mean exploring, he called Maggie's family into their parlor as witnesses. He stated, Maggie is my wife and I am her husband. Wherever we are, she is mine and I am hers. This followed the custom of marriage by mutual consent and was a coward's way of securing marriage without telling his family of his intentions. That's that's uh, me saying it, not yeah. whoever wrote the book. That's just me saying no, it. No, I, like, I know. I, I know. And I like yeah. it. God, what a douche. From that day forward, he referred to Maggie as his wife and assured her she would be taken care of if anything happened to him. Don't worry. I've oh. never told you a lie or gone back on my word before, baby. Unfortunately, oh, baby. unfortunately, something did happen to him. When he arrived in England, he became very sick and eventually succumbed to a weak heart he'd dealt with most of his life. I didn't talk about this earlier because I hate him, but basically he had a bad case of rheumatism. He suffered when he was young, so he had like a weak heart or whatever, and his whole like Arctic colonizing was uh, like, I'm so strong. I was he weak as a baby, but i a strong man. So yeah, he died from his weak heart. And then after his death, his family refused to give Maggie any of the $5,000 that Kane had left to her in the event of his death. Of course. So this was really, I mean, despite the fact that this guy was an asshole, she really did love him for whatever reason. And at this point, because just dealing with his family who refused to accept her as his wife really left her depressed and despondent and caused her to leave spiritualism for good. Uh, And she ended up converting to Catholicism because Elisha had asked her at some point to convert to Catholicism. So because of his death, that was her way of, like, doing something good for him, even though he didn't deserve it. He was a piece of shit. Yeah. Maggie still occasionally would perform a private seance for people she knew, but for the most part stood by her decision to abstain from seances and spiritualism. Apparently, as a way to pay respects to the wishes of her dead, terrible fiancé. And it was also at this time that she fell headlong into alcoholism, the unfortunate result of younger days spent drinking wine and champagne in parlors before seances. Oh, my. And really just kind of forced to grow up too fast because her sister was kind of like, oh, you can make money. Well, her older sister, Leanne, not Kate, but... Leah just being like, I can use you to make money, so have fun being treated as an adult. And then as a last-ditch effort to punish Elijah's family, who still refused to acknowledge her as his lover, much less his fiancé, much less his wife, and make some money so she could actually support herself, she had the love letters he's he'd written to her published in 1866 as The Love Life of Dr. Kane. So... The plan actually kind of backfired and opened her up to more gossip from an interested public because at the time, like, we don't know who this guy is, but at the time, he was a very well, he was from a well-known family and he was well-known for, as an explorer. So, and she was a well-known medium. So gossip mags were like, oh, tell us more about this relationship, which was the opposite of what she wanted. 
And her sister Leah was, or Leah was especially humiliated by Maggie reopening the scandal and her alcohol alcoholism. So she officially cut off all contact with her. And a real bitch move. Poor Maggie. Somebody God love Maggie. <laughs> Somebody love Maggie. I love Maggie. Send me some raps tonight, Maggie. God damn. So at this point. Kate was really the only Fox sister who held seances for paying customers, and she was initially faring better than Maggie. Uh, At one point, she was holding 10 seances a day, and she was making about $1,200 a year, which I did do the calculations, and that's like $33,000 in today's money, which is, you know, it's like a living wage, but that was at a time when most women made $3 a week. So she felt like she couldn't complain about how much she was working. And she was also advancing in her ability. She was starting to do more, do more shit. She began to do spirit writing during seances and write backwards with her left hand. Yes, 10 in a day is fucking insane. Um, and she would bring blank cards where spirit writing would spontaneously appear. And then after a successful series of performances with a wealthy man named Charles Livermore, where she was able to manifest the ghostly body of his dead wife multiple times, allowing him to come to terms with her death. And honestly, like, this is ridiculous. If you are interested in this at all, please read about Kate Fox and her seances with Charles Livermore because they are insane. And I don't want to go into it because I've already talked so much, but. It's so interesting. But after this, she felt the spirits were telling her to sail to England and continue her seances there. So it could also be that she was really bogged down by the deaths of her parents who had passed away recently and dealing with Maggie's alcoholism, which was getting really bad at that point. And she also kind of hated Leah and wanted or Leah and wanted to get away from her. So At the time, Leah had married a wealthy Wall Street banker and moved into a fancy home of her own with zero intentions to pass on her good fortunes to the sisters who led her there. So Leah starts out as a divorced woman in a time where it was not good to be divorced. And she basically uses her two younger sisters to gain some notoriety and make a name for herself, marries a wealthy man, moves into a big house, and then it's just kind of like, well, you guys are on your own. Kate makes it to England in 1871, during a time when spiritualism was immensely popular, due mostly to the mediums Mrs. W.R. Hayde and Daniel Douglas Home or Daniel Douglas. Not Douglas, but Douglas. That's That's a weird last name. So it wasn't long before she began a relationship with the man who would become her husband, Henry Dietrich Jenkin. Unlike a certain Arctic colonizer, Henry was an avid fan of spiritualism. In fact, it was one of the things that brought the two of them together. And they were wed in December of 1872 in a wonderful ceremony, something her sister unfortunately never received, which is a bummer. And despite bearing two sons and living a lovely life together, Kate's bliss was not to last for long because poor Henry passed away from a stroke in November of 1881. And because he had been unable to leave much behind in the way of finances, Kate continued to perform seances as the world's most famous medium for quite a few more years until she moved back to New York in 1885. Whew. Okay. We're almost done. I know we're, we're covering so much ground. We're almost done. 
1885, Leah released her book, The Missing Link and Modern Spiritualism, which you can find online for free if you're interested in reading it. Um, it's, I guess it's been around long enough that it's in public domain, so you can find it in like Project Gutenberg or whatever. I started reading it. It's very heavy and not super interesting, but maybe you'll like it. But it's a partial biography of the sisters' lives and the beginning of spiritualism, heavily favored to make Leah the center of attention. Who would imagine? (laughs) (laughs) And unsurprisingly, it, it sounds like a winner. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, it kind of drove the wedge between her and Kate and Maggie even further. And perhaps a result as a result of their years of alcohol abuse and a strong desire to besmirch the name of the sister they loathed, Kate and Maggie, mostly Maggie, it's mostly Maggie. She's been struggling for the past three decades. This is mostly Maggie, began in 1888 to try and discredit the whole concept of spiritualism. They were like, we built this house and we will take it down. We are the wrecking ball. Miley Cyrus, who? (laughs) Maggie sent letters to the New York Herald denouncing the hundreds of fanatics who believed the charlatans who benefited from spiritualism. According to her, the fools lost their money, their sanity, and often enough, their lives. Both sisters gave interviews in newspapers denouncing the movement and its adherents, including members of their own family. Maggie said in one interview with the New York Herald, when spiritualism first began, Kate and I were little children and this old woman, my other sister. <laughs> Goddamn, I'm how much sorry. I, I forgot about that part. <clears throat> this old woman, she was like 24, 25. I just want to say that. And they're like, how old? They were like... They were like sixteen and and thirteen when they first started. Still? Mm. Oh, 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 okay. okay no, okay. I'm saying she's okay. she's calling Leah an old woman. I know. Like, I was like, God, so much has happened in their short teenage <laughs> lives. No, this is this is like forty years later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, like, this old woman, my other sister, made us her tools. Mother was okay. a silly woman. She was a fanatic. I call her that because she was honest. She believed in these things. In the same interview, after demonstrating the strange raps and refusing to reveal the truth of how they were created, she said, Why I have explored the unknown as far as human will can i have gone to the dead so that i might get from them some little token nothing came of it nothing so maggie's reason for not explaining the raps in this interview would make sense soon because the reporter offered them fifteen hundred dollars if they revealed their tactics for communicating with spirits to further their confession the two of them appeared before an audience of two thousand in the new york academy of music on the evening of october 21st 1888 so this is almost exactly four and a half years from when, or I'm not sorry, 40 and a half years from when this all started. Mm-hmm. Maggie Fox, now in her mid-50s and still wearing morning clothes for Kane, stepped out onto the large stage of the Opera House on East 14th Street to face 4,000 people. Did I say 2,000? 4,000 people. She had been sleepless for days, pacing her apartment in a manic state, playing the piano, talking excitedly to visiting friends about the blow she was about to deliver, and of course, drinking, because poor Maggie, somebody loved Maggie. Let me go back in time so I can love Maggie. When she did speak, the audience was aghast. 
My sister Katie and I were very young children when this horrible deception began, she said. We were very mischievous children and sought merely to terrify our dear mother, who was a very good woman and very easily frightened. She and Kate had made up the ghost Charles Rosna, Maggie said as a joke. The girls had noticed how scared the rapping made their mother, and so they egged each other on to knock even louder on their bed frame. After those first few days of rapping in Hydesville, Maggie explained, the sisters had begun to add props, tying lines around objects and furniture so that they could cause things to fall and make louder noises. They took apples from the cellar and tied strings around them. Then they would throw the apples from their beds and yank them back under the covers, making a bumping sound along the dirt floor through the room. When their mother ran into their bedroom, they would look at her startled and wide-eyed. As time went on, the girls also cultivated a special skill. They found they could loudly crack their toe knuckles and ankle bones. I don't know if I believe this, because, like, can y'all hear that? No. I crack my ankle all the time. And I just, I don't know. And Maybe they just had, like, no, like, my and ankle. I, I know, but they ankle. did they say their toe, too? Toe knuckles and ankle bones. I mean, I'm, I can crack my toe knuckles. You can't hear it, though. Yeah. I do not like to crack my toes. Oh, God. Ugh. I do it all the time. Sometimes I'll do it to Kat if she's not paying attention. And oh, my God. I crack, like, every other bone. Like, ankles, knees, I wish, hips. I wish I could crack my neck. I can't crack my neck. I loved How do you Did do you it? Did you hear oh, it? Yeah, how do you do it? I can't. I can just hear that I need to crack See? it. How? I just do this. <sighs> And then I'm Girl, you need a chiropractor. Me? I know. Oh, her? Oh, Wait, how do I crack my neck? I need to. I can see, do I, it. I can't. I can Don't see. do the twisties. That's not good. You do the side to side. Well, I'm doing it, but nothing. Well, don't crack it too far. <laughs> I don't want to witness your death <laughs> I don't, I don't want to see your death light on camera, Katie. God. So they can crack their toe knuckles and ankle bones. They practice this throughout the day, apparently, just like cracking everything, all their little joints. And then when they they found when they did this against their bed frame at night, the wood would even produce a vibration to make the sound even louder. Like most perplexing things when made clear, it is astonishing how easily it is done. Maggie said, the wrappings are simply the result of a perfect control of the muscles of the leg below the knee, which govern the tendons of the foot and allow action of the toe and ankle bones that is not commonly known. Such perfect control is only possible when a child is taken at an early age and carefully and continually taught to practice the muscles, which grow stiff in later years. A child at 12 is almost too old. With control of the muscles of the foot, the toes may be brought down to the floor without any movement that is perceptible to the eye. The whole foot, in fact, can be made to give wrappings by the use only of the muscles below the knee. I have seen so much miserable deception, she reportedly said. That is why I am willing to state that spiritualism is a fraud of the worst description. So, unfortunately, the two girls had no long-term plan. Well, two women at this time had no long-term plan after this confession. Maggie was paid the $1,500 for the performance, and her confession was published in the New York World. Together, she and Kate published a pamphlet called The Death Blow to Spiritualism. However... damn. They just went right in for it. Oh, they did. Oh, they did. Like I said, they were like, we built this house and we will tear it down. However, these proceeds only these proceeds only lasted so long, mostly because the sisters seemed really fully committed at this point to drinking themselves to death. A year later, Maggie tried to walk back her confession. 
She said, at the time, I was in great need of money and people took advantage of the situation. The excitement to upon upset my mental equilibrium. When I made those dreadful statements, I was not responsible for my words. Reactions to this recantation were mixed. Like some still believed the confession and thought the attempt to retract it was laughable. Others believed in her abilities enough and kind of saw what her and her sister did when they were younger. So they, you know, they kind of concluded that she had faked the confession. But still, at this point in time, nobody really wanted to hear anything from her or Kate anymore. They had kind of ostracized themselves in the spiritualism community and they didn't really have anything after that all three sisters died within just a few years of maggie's confession leah died in 1890 a rich bitch kate died in 1892 and maggie died in 1893 the latter two finally succumbing to years of alcohol abuse oh my god Maggie and Kate were buried together in Brooklyn, New York. They lie together in death, just like when, as girls, they fell asleep at midnight and slept side by side in the first haunted house in America. Aww. Okay, so whether you think their confession was real or not, here's Liz to tell you it's all bullshit. <laughs> well, first things first, I wanted to show you, I don't know if you saw this when you were researching, but it was my favorite. This is an actual news clipping from November 22nd, 1924. And it's an article that Houdini wrote called Spiritualism Exposed, the Story Whoa. of the Fox Sisters. Oh, yeah. I think I did see that. Which sister is that supposed to be? Is that supposed to be Maggie? Leah. <laughs> Poor Maggie. Uh -huh. I love you, Maggie. Isn't that cool? Yes. Yes. I love that. I mean, I guess he's Houdini. I feel like the main reason he did it is because Arthur Conan Doyle was like, spiritualism, it's so cool. It's a thing. Look at it. It's great. And Houdini was like, you are a fucking idiot. And I'm going to show you that this is dumb. <laughs> you are literally an insufferable toad. <laughs> <laughs> but he also, I love Arthur Conan Doyle. I, I do love him. But he thought that the stuff that Harry Houdini did in his magic shows was real. <laughs> well, I thought I would give a quick overview of Houdini. Um, I'm assuming most people know kind of who he is, but usually when you think of Houdini, you're just like Katie, like you said, an escape artist or a magician or whatever, and a lot of people don't really know anything else. So I'm going to start with a quick little backstory. Uh, Harry Houdini was born in 1874 in Hungary as Eric Weitz and as a child immigrated to the United States. In the 1890s, he became a famous escape artist under the stage name of Harry Houdini and became known as the Handcuff King. His most famous stunt was his Chinese water torture cell in which he was shackled upside down and immersed in a locked tank of water and he escaped from this cell in rivers, uh, one time in the corpse of a whale, oceans, lakes. He was just, like, known for getting out of weird boxes, I guess. For all of these death-defying escapes, Houdini openly admitted that everything he did was a trick, either through optical illusion or specially engineered equipment. He viewed his stunts as entertainment only, and anybody who contended that they had supernatural abilities was a fraud. 
And uh, upon his claim to fame, we all quickly realized that Houdini had a special loathing for spiritual labias. I know what you said, but it sounded like you said spiritual labias. <laughs> I mean, all labias are spiritual. They're all magical. In my humble opinion. I agree. Um, spiritualism, which just to backtrack on what Renee said, uh, is a quasi-religious movement that was in vogue in the early 20th century. <laughs> I wrote in vogue in my notes and I was like, Renee's going to hate that I said in vogue in regards to something from the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I just think about the band. There you go. One of the key aspects of spiritualism was that so-called spiritual mediums had the ability to communicate with the dead. Somehow only in pitch black rooms and with <laughs> lots of um, special requests such as only wooden tables and candlelight only made it easy to trick people that would pay to come to their seances and their spiritualistic practices. Participants would hear bumps, see flashes of light, and other strange phenomena that somehow convinced people that it was possible to talk to the dead. Houdini viewed mediums as frauds who took advantage of people who had lost their loved ones. And his rage came from his countless, countless attempts to contact his dead mother through seances with himself, with his friends and he never could get through to his mom so he pretty much had it in his head like from the get-go like this is bullshit this is not real and I'm gonna prove it to you because of the growing popularity of spiritualism Scientific American established two $2,500 prizes to produce a photograph of a spirit under test conditions and to produce a visible spiritual manifestation under test conditions Houdini served on the judging committee by 19... 24 and by this time he exposed several prize winners as frauds but Houdini almost met his match in 1924 when he encountered Mina Crandon of Boston a medium called Marjorie by her devotees and the blonde witch of Lime Street by her haters very charismatic Marjorie was able to exude ectoplasm from various orifices so do with that information what you will. She was particularly well known for summoning Walter, the spirit of her dead brother that could levitate objects, make sounds, and sound out messages. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of the ever-logical Sherlock Holmes, was a follower of Crandon and referred her to the Scientific American Prize. This is where it gets juicy. A six-person committee was so convinced by Crandon's powers that they recommended her for the award. However, an outraged Harry Houdini stepped in and said to the committee, if you give this award to a medium without examination, every fraudulent medium in the world will take advantage of it. Of course, if she is genuine, then there is nothing to expose. But if the scientific American by any accident should declare her genuine, and then it was detected she's a fraud, we would be the laughing stock of the world. So he flew to Boston to participate in seances with Crandon uh, starting on July 23rd, 1924. As with all other seances, the affair was held completely in the dark so no one could see Crandon's movements. The hard-to-explain phenomena 
was that Walter, the spirit of her brother, would ring an electric bell. Houdini found that Crandon was able to do this through subtle footwork, even though her legs were touching her neighbors. In another instance, a tumbled cabinet was found to have been rigged and weighed down. Still, he was professionally impressed and backhanded Crandon as having some of the slickest ruses he had ever seen. In order to verify it as fraud, Houdini crafted a special box that would lock the medium in so that she could only wiggle her hands and feet. This Crandon tried to overcome by smuggling items into the cabinet that she could use later. When she was found out, Walter blamed it on Houdini, saying that it was an attempt to set his sister up. But further seances with restraints showed that Crandon could not produce the effects. Other evidence of mystical powers, such as ectoplasm, were found to be pieces of animal tissue. So this lady went as far as to literally put animal tissue in like her mouth and nose and stuff and make it come out just to look like official. That's disgusting. She had like wires tied to her ankle so that when she jiggled her leg, a bell would ring somewhere else in the house. The fuck? Because she was charging people to come to seances. Right. In the last exchange, Walter, Crandon's uh, fake brother spirit, called Houdini a son of a bitch and put a curse on him. Wow. Houdini was unmoved and in the following months demonstrated Crandon's tricks at performances to the general laughter of audiences. So he made a 40-page pamphlet revealing all of her tricks and turned her into a laughing stock. And this was the beginning of the end of the spiritualism movement in pop culture of the early 20th century. All the while, Crandon continued to hold seances with her admirers growing even more supportive despite the public humiliation and defrauding. In 1926, her brother Walter, in quotes, made a prediction that Houdini would be dead by Halloween. Curiously, Houdini did die October 31st, 1926, what? due to a ruptured appendix. There is some speculation that he was in fact assassinated by zealous spiritualists, but there is no historical proof for that. Interestingly, uh, Houdini's wife, Bess, carried on seances, even though she had never believed them like at all. She was not into his thing. She did not really like, like what he did. She didn't enjoy that he was like proving everyone wrong. She was like not really into any of it. She carried on seances until 1936, so 11 years in hopes of contacting her dead husband. They had agreed that if the other died, they would have a secret signal at a seance that the other would know, but Harry never showed up. As for Crandon, she slipped into alcoholism Oh, and died in 1941. Is that just... Apparently, that's just what women I'm, did. Like, if you don't say, have anything else to do, you just you're just like, I guess I shall drink myself to death. Yeah. They just gave up and started drinking. Uh, I'm going to read one tiny excerpt from this newspaper article that I showed you guys from 1924, um, where Harry Houdini actually interviewed Margaret and got her confession written down for the paper, that it was, like, not real. She said, I do this because I consider it my duty 
a sacred thing, a holy mission to now expose spiritualism. I want to see the day when it is entirely done away with. After I expose it, I hope spiritualism will be given a death blow. I was the first in the field and I have a right to expose it. My sister Katie and I were very young children when this horrible deception began. I was only eight. We were very mischievous children and sought merely to terrify our dear mother, who was a very good woman. When we went to bed at night, we used to tie an apple to a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise. When mother started to understand it and uh, be afraid and realize that we could never be capable of such, she called the neighbors in and told them about it. It was this that set us up to discover a means of making the wraps more effect- effectively. I think when I reflect now about it that it was the most wonderful discovery, a very wonderful thing that children should make such a discovery, and all through a desire to do mischief only. And then she goes on for like the rest of the page about how they literally started doing this just to trick their mom. And then her mom became so convinced that they felt like they had no other choice but just to keep going. I mean, why wouldn't you? I don't know. I don't know. It just, I feel like for, for like things in the spiritual world and realm that actually do happen, it was such an unfortunate thing that in such a time spiritualism could have actually taken off and like real kind of things like that like could have been more accepted and now it's just like oh the kooky witch with the bump on her nose like it's it's getting cooler now it's swinging back around there's definitely like uh like there's not a lot of respect towards the spiritualism movement no as and as, as cool like, as houdini was kind of also a neck beard a neck beard like you went so far out of your way to just make a laughing stock of people, mm-hmm. and, and you were also a sideshow. So if they're a sideshow act and you're a sideshow act, why are you getting in their bag, sweetie? Yeah, just calm down. Wrap some chains around yourself and go into a tank, honey. Yeah, just literally throw yourself off a bridge. That's he's what you better, do. He's better yeah. than everybody else. He's smart. Yeah, it wasn't until I started researching. At first, I thought it was cool. I was like, yeah, he took everyone down. Meh. And then I was like, ew, like, you're that annoying kid on the playground who tells the teacher, uh-huh. like, the worst. And also, yep. you're doing the same thing. You're just not claiming that it's dead people. And also, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like parts of it were, I don't think it was all bullshit, I guess, for me. I think if you play with enough matches, you're going to start a fire. Yeah, I agree. You know? Even if they thought they were being funny and mischievous, like, some spirit is going to be like, you fucking rain. Hello. (laughs) I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, my my whole belief as far as anything spiritual goes is if you look at it from a physics perspective where we only exist in a third dimension and there are so many dimensions that we literally have no ability to conceive with our brains. We don't know what's happening in the fourth dimension, fifth dimension, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Ah, there could be crazy. all sorts of weird shit. Katie could be getting teabagged by a cephalopod right now and we'd have no idea because it'd be happening in the sixth dimension. 
Oh. I could be Gazorpazorp's queen somewhere. <laughs> yes, you could. Yes, you and, could. And that's what I want for you, Liz. Thank you. Only the best. Well, Katie, how do you feel? Do you feel like you were on this roller coaster of exciting seances and spiritualism, and then I just kind of like, phew. yeah, or did you know it was coming the whole time? I mean, I, 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 I knew about the Houdini stuff more than I did about the Fox sisters. So well, there you go. Thank you. For, I'm sure you enjoyed that depressing ride. I did. Two sisters who deserved better. I, I, did. I know. It's long and sad, and it's just fueled by wanting to either make your parents upset or you're sad because your parents are dead or exactly. someone is dead or you just want to make someone mad. That's you it. Bad taste men. We're all going through emotional trauma with our parents now, anyways. So got to start somewhere back in the day, right? <laughs> Why not make them think that they are extremely haunted? Fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Gaslight the shit out of your parents. I can't believe we recorded an episode. I'm so happy. I missed y'all so I know. Life has been so crazy. I'm so glad, at least for me and my neck of the corn. You can still find us at Conspiracy Podcast ATL on Instagram. Uh, the conspiracy on Twitter. I don't use the Facebook, so please don't find it. It's embarrassing. Easter. Um, and we really miss you. And if you're still listening, thanks for sticking around. If you look at your Spotify or your Apple Music and you got a notification that said that conspiracy podcast uploaded an episode, it's not a dream. It's real life, and we're back, baby. <laughs> we're back, and we're better than ever. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. 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 Everybody, I would like to live. I just want to do God's will. Just to go. But I want you to know that.